Hello all and welcome to another episode of Old Everald and Young James Talk Politics. I'm stuck at home with COVID while Everald is in the great north of Queensland. How are we, Ev? I'm fine, mate. I'm fine. It's good to talk. Uh, it's good to talk with you. And there's a lot of things we can that we can talk about. Could I just uh, start off by saying that I've got a concern about the constant hammering of Morrison over all sorts of things. Now, let me be quite clear: he deserves the hammering. But I've seen, I've watched politics for a long time. And I've seen when you get in a meeting, if a person in a meeting is constantly attacked, even if they're absolute skunks, the sympathy of the meeting eventually goes to them for all these attacks. And I think that Morrison is now getting a sympathy vote, even though I think he's guilty of all the things people, most of the things that people are hitting him with. And I'm concerned that we've got to stop hammering him as a person. Let's just all agree that we want to get rid of him. But talk about the big issues, like who's going to handle money better? Why, we, why has climate change almost disappeared off the agenda in this election? Uh, can we get on to other issues like aged care and, and uh, water for Australia other, even, and how the, flood, the current floods are being handled and, and uh, what have you? And so I, 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 what do you think about the attacks on Morrison? Um, it's, a, it's a good point you raise about climate change first and foremost because we had that third IPCC report released this week and neither of the major parties really took it up. The Greens did, to their credit, um, so good on the Greens for that, but neither of the major parties really, uh, really talked about it. Um, and I think Labor's very hesitant to talk about substantive issues on climate change after what happened in 2019 when George Christensen and Matt Canavan toured around far north Queensland telling people, um, you're going to lose your job if Labor gets in, and Labor had no reply to that. Um, which, True, I so, think it's a, I think it's a weakness in the way yeah, Albo and others yeah, in the party are, are avoiding the climate change thing. I mean, I it's a hot issue, and they they think they seem to be more worried about Rupert what Rupert Murdoch's going to do with their climate change thing than what is reality. And I actually think the Greens are gaining right this now in news part last week, and of course polls can be wrong. The Greens went up 2%, and I think that that's showing that people are saying, well, where does my climate change vote go? And I think their vote will increase over the climate change issue, and they will take a couple of inner-city seats off the Labor Party as, around Australia as a result of it. And so I think it's the kiss of death to put climate change on the back burner. Do you agree um, with that? Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, like, say, Tanya Plibersack's seat of Sydney, is one that um, the Greens will be thinking they can target um, if they get a big boosted vote of people moving away from the Labor Party to the Greens wanting a more solid climate policy. I'm sure other inner city seats um, in the hearts of cities are the same. Now, back to what you said with uh, Morrison. I think one of the reasons the Labor Party's been so gung-ho um, attacking Morrison is because realistically, um, I think the narrative that Morrison, the person, won the Liberals, the 2019 election is wrong. Like I've said before, you look at where all the swings were. The big swing against Labor in 2019 was in North Queensland because of what George Christensen and Matt Canavan did. Nevertheless, we've had this persistent narrative that the 2019 election was the Morrison miracle, um, even though everywhere except far North Queensland um, the swings were sort of marginal either way, some towards Labor, some towards the Liberals. Um, 
but again, the, the Murdoch media, uh, especially, still has this prevailing narrative about you know Scotty the hero, Scotty the Messiah um, that you see, and so I think um, it, it's another example of sort of Labor buying into those mainstream narratives that aren't necessarily true, um, and like thinking, all right, you know, we have to target him head on because. It is true that when the Liberals won the election in 2019, they had no substantive policies. They just said, you know, vote for us because we're not the Labor Party. Scott Morrison's a cool guy. The Labor Party will take a job. Um, all these other sorts of things. So I suppose um, in, in another... Yeah, I think, I, I'm sure they, I agree with your analysis totally about that, about, about the 2019 election. I, I think it's time that, that Labor stepped forward with climate uh, change and and, yeah. and uh, uh, I believe the public are waiting for that and it would be a tragedy if Tanya Pimpersek lost a seat. Labor ought to look at it and say if we continue this lax climate change, then we're going to lose a very good person whom she is. And so I think that she and herself has got to come out and say something. Although the party will probably whack her if she does that, but uh, uh, climate change more and more and the and the whole in 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 the in the environment, um, the whole environment issue, not just in climate change, but, you know, what's causing floods and what's going to cause the next lot of droughts and all these things are, are issues that a lot of Australians are, are very concerned about. And, and, and I think we've got to hit it hard, aren't they? Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, um, I think it's... Um... I'm, I'm hoping realistically and I'm hoping strongly um, that if and hopefully when the Labor gets into government, excuse me, um, that Jim Chalmers in the second budget that they promised, because remember, Labor promised they'd do like another budget shortly after winning um, an election. Um, I hope in that budget there is some ambitious climate plans, you know, taking away subsidies for coal and gas mines putting subsidies into green energy, into research, into innovation. Like where the country, you know, who did the CSIRO, who did Wi-Fi, um, so many great Australian inventions, the Hills Hoist Clothesline, revolutionary for its day. Um, and yet in the modern day, we are insipid. We are lagging behind. We are looking for excuses to turn the clock back, not leap towards the future. So I, I really would hope that in a hypothetical Labor government, for like one of the things that's very present in their first budget is really good uh, climate spending. And not only is that good for stopping climate change, it creates jobs too. Because realistically, the way the world's going, jobs in coal, jobs in gas are on the way out. And we need to retrain and retrench these people and get them into better, higher paying, more efficient green jobs. It's I'm better for everyone. Yeah, James, and look, I think... You mentioned Jim Chalmers. Now, I think that Jim Chalmers has been the star turn for the Labor Party in this campaign. He's now got, in the last few weeks, a higher profile than he ever has. And I hope that's because Albo has said to him, get out there and do your thing, Jim, which he wasn't doing before. Now, he is coming over well. I've run into conservative people who say, look, we reckon we could trust Jim Chalmers, and this is the way it is. So I reckon throughout the election campaign, Albo's got to let Jim Chalmers run with an economic agenda so people can say we can trust this broke Chalmers with our money, which is the thing. Now, Labor, if you look at the whole history of Australia since 1901, 
Labor has been in office in the 120 years. Labor has been in office for only 40 years. The Conservative Party has been there for 80 years. And if you look at all the elections down the years, the Conservatives have usually won by saying the Labor Party can't look after you, your money, which was nonsense when you look at the whole uh, Keating era and, and what they achieved. But uh, Labor's let them get away with that, you know, so that Labor's only won a third of the elections. And so I think the Jim Chalmers, if Labor wants to win a clear majority, uh, Jim Chalmers has got to be given a good run. And Jim's got to talk about some of the things that he's going to look at in this budget beyond, uh, you know, to give people confidence that he knows where he's going. How do you feel? Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, you, you're right that um, the historical performance of the Labor Party in the 120 years of this country has not, we have not won as many elections as we'd have liked to. I mean, the, the one thing I'll say on that, I suppose, is um, our, our system is ever so slightly tilted in the favour of Conservative governments getting elected. Even before um, putting the media into play, um, we have this system where the Nationals get 10% of the vote and they get 30 seats like SNAP, and the Greens get 10% of the vote and they get one seat, um, which is pretty dismal. Um, I think New Zealand's political system, the way they elect their governments is better. And we can talk about that in future podcasts. Um, but in terms of what we need to do to defeat that narrative, I agree. Like wage growth under this coalition government has been abysmal. It's been dreadful. Wages haven't grown for our most vulnerable workers um, at all during this government's tenure. I mean, yes, the Liberals point to the low unemployment rate, quote unquote, and say this is evidence of how good we're doing with the economy. And yet, more people are working casual jobs than ever. So more people are in insecure employment than ever. More people are working multiple jobs than ever, which suggests that wages in their first job aren't high enough to allow them to put food on the table. So yeah, you know, they can bang on about the unemployment rate and how good that is. But the underemployment rate and the living standards, which is what's important, because realistically, a low unemployment rate doesn't put food on the table for people. What puts food on the table for people is their wages and their salaries. Um, all these things have gone backwards under this government, living standards, wages, and so on. This government has been dreadful for keeping money in people's pockets, but great at giving money to Gina Reinhardt, Andrew Forrest, Clive Palmer and co. Um, and if the Labor Party was really, really more assertive with that point, I think people would be very receptive because people aren't being able to put food off the table. Like I know voters, you know, you, you might want to say, don't get too caught up in economics discourse and third year economics courses and the concepts you learn there. But people know when they can't put food on the table. People know when their bread costs more, their milk costs more, their fuel costs more. And it's been costing more and more and more for the past nine years. Well, well of course, they claim that Morrison will claim he addressed that in the budget. I don't think he did. But look, just take this one aspect that you raised the issue of the National Party winning so many seats with a lesser vote than the Greens. That's because they're, they, they're out in the country and uh, and where uh, the Greens aren't, aren't generally doing very well out in the country. And uh, it's extraordinary. Now, I, I'm involved with Tony Windsor in trying to win for... In, excellent independence along the path of the Inland Railway from Toowoomba down into to Melbourne. And we reckon that there's a fair chance that we can get independence up in five seats held by them, including the seat of Michael McCormack, who used to be a deputy prime minister, and including the safest seat they've got in the country in Toowoomba now. 
I'm going to make a big effort to get them there because in the bush, you can see where the economy is bad. Now, I went to Caranda in North Queensland this week. It used to be a booming tourist town. Half the shops are now closed and others have got signs up saying they want to sell. There's simply not enough business there for them. And you can look at every other little town around Australia and there's, there's shops closed down. And this is the National Party territory and why the hell are all that there's little industries being closed down. And so we've got to look at, uh, and I'm going to highlight those issues, the whole issue of the Murray-Darling water system uh, where we've absolutely wrecked the Murray-Darling with by letting people with money buy the water instead of providing it to farmers. And so there's all sorts of... I think the National Party, not just where I'm working, is going to suffer very badly simply because of a neglect of little people, which is what you were, what you were talking about. Well, I, I hope so, because, look, uh, I don't know what it was like in sort of the, you know, back, back when you were younger and they were the country party and that sort of thing. But as long as I've been alive, the National Party has never been the party of farmers and rural battlers. They've been the party of big mining companies um, and miners. You know, the, the Nationals Minister for Resources, Keith Kitt, uh, in the seat of Pinkler, uh, dubbed the Minister for Coal by detractors, and rightly so, because he's a coal ideologue. Um, his seat has some of the worst educational, health and economic outcomes in the entire, in the entire country. And I think it's perfectly emblematic um, that his seat happens to be one of those seats, because he's one of these nationals who is so full steam ahead on coal, Everything else can be in the rearview mirror. We don't need to worry about it. Um, yes, and, that, and, you and can that's, see what, a seat, yeah. that's a seat that's not even on the path of the Inland Railway. That's far north. But the, the, the mayor of Bundaberg is going to run against Pitt, the Jack Dempsey, and he's a very popular mayor. would not surprise me in the slightest if Pitt loses, uh, loses that, uh, that seat because the person opposing him, who used to be a Liberal, is saying the sort of things you've just said about, you know, what's wrong with, with Pitt. And so I think we're going to see this, this happening. And around the country, there's some extraordinary independents, uh, uh, you know, who are running. And, for instance, in the seat of Calair, which I, I'm helping uh, a candidate called Kate, uh, Kate Holt, uh, uh, she's an environmentalist. She's an environmental scientist, and she's running in this National Party seat where environmental scientists used to get run out of town. Now, she's getting a, a good reception from people on the ground because she's saying the sort of things that you're saying, if we get involved in climate change, we're going to make more money out of our farming. We're going to have more jobs. We're going to have people wanting to come and live in the good environment of the bush. And she's the sort of candidate that the bush needs instead of a, somebody who's a, a political hack who thinks, well, if you run for the National Party, you've got a safe seat, you can stay there for 100 years. <laughs> and so I think that, you know, this sort of thing is going to come good. Well, I hope so. I really do. Because, like, the the, pe the good people of the bush deserve better. Um, you know, that uh, they are our food bowl, uh, our milk bowl, um, so much of our meats, our breads, you know, our grains, our, our dairies, our fruits, our vegetables. Uh, so many of them come from growers in rural and regional areas, and they're just getting reamed by this government who refuses to take climate action, um, who refuses to help these guys out. You know, the, the only farmers who seem to get subsidies out of our government are the big corporate farming conglomerates 
who were the people who have been, uh, as you pointed out before, you know, damming up the Murray Darling and ruining it for all the farmers downstream who now have no water supply. Um, yeah, so- well, well it's, a, it's, it's an interesting, uh, you know, phenomena about, uh, you know, the whole way of working. But one of the things that I hope can happen as a result of this is that enough independents win to scare the hell out of the major the major parties in, you know, in one way. So we start to get some reform because democracy is not happening in these parties. For instance, the fiasco in New South Wales about who's being nominated for seats in New South Wales. Should the members pick the candidates or should Morrison and Perrottet pick the candidates? And they've been spending more time in the courts than you and I have been having lunch. And the whole thing is still... But it's a, it's a breach of democracy you can't have a political party saying this is our nominated candidate picked by two blokes and the Labor Party is at fault because they imposed Keneally, uh, uh, you know, out in Fowler and, and, and what's his name, James Carroll in Parramatta against the will of the local people because the leadership wanted it. Now, we've got to get rid of that sort of nonsense out of our political system, haven't we, James? I agree. I mean, um, Andrew Charles, Parramatta fella. Um, now, like you, you, you it, it's nothing new, regrettably, all this imposition of uh, candidates. You look back to what's been in the news this week about 2007 when Morrison um, scared a bunch of racists in Cronulla away from the secret Muslim Michael Coke, even though he was, you know, a, a regular conservative Catholic. He was going to become the first Lebanese Australian MP in the Liberal Party. And Morrison and his operatives uh, spread rumours that he was linked to organised crime, that he was, again, secretly a Muslim, uh, that he was running brothels, all these disgusting, heinous, untrue rumours um, to scare the sort of stiff upper lip, if it ain't white, it ain't right, Cronulla Conservatives into, um, into rolling toke for Morrison. Um, so if anyone knows a thing or two about um, the captain's picks, it's Morrison. But I will say, uh, in terms of the value of picking great local candidates, um, the ABC this week on... Um, I think it was yesterday morning, had Labor for Labor's candidate in the seat of Reed, which encompasses Burwood, Strathfield, and a lot of thriving Asian Australian communities, a lady by the name of Sally Situ. Um, and she was wonderful. Like she was just exemplary, um, what she talked about. She talked like she got to the heart of local issues. Um, she was able to talk totally confidently and calmly about what matters to people in her electorate. Um, about what it's like to grow up as a culturally and linguistically diverse Australian in Australia, um, which is obviously important to an electorate that is so culturally and linguistically diverse. Um, and she also highlighted, um, and this is something a lot of people have been too scared to highlight, um, the government's regular attempts at, um, you know, divisive racist tactics against Chinese and Asian Australians, which would be a huge issue to a culturally and linguistically diverse electorate. Um, and listening to her speak on the ABC yesterday, you, you can't look at that. Uh, I encourage everyone to go out and listen to your interview it's online. You can't look at that and think, yeah, it's better to parachute in some millionaire white guy from Bellevue Hill. Like you can't, when you listen to local, locally grown, locally minded um, representative candidates speak, it boggles my mind how people can still think, yeah, it's better to put Christina Kenyon in. Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I agree. That, you know, it, it's not a good call. Now, look, we're getting near our uh, half hour then, James. We've got to pick our, you know, our good person of the week and our uh, our bad person of the week. Now, uh, uh, while not wanting to revive the whole uh, bashing issue of 
Morrison, I think that uh, Tap, the guy he beat in the illegally, in my view, in the in the pre-selection 15 years ago, whenever it wasn't the seat of Cook, I think that in the broadcast he's made this week, he's behaved with great dignity about the whole thing, but he's laid out before the public the perfect example of how democracy did not work in the New South Wales Liberal Party at that time. He should have been the bloke in instead of Morrison. And so he gets my top mark. What's, what's yours, Dan? Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with Tope. His interview was stellar. Like, it was candid, um, was honest, it was frank. And, yeah, it was it was a really good interview. Uh, my good guy of the week is um, our local Labor candidate in the seat of Lindsay, Trevor Ross. Uh, he had his campaign launch on Sunday last week. Uh, which I attended. It was really good. It was great to hear him speak. Um, Trevor Ross is a he's a firefighter. He was at the Glenbrook train disaster. Uh, he was at the Quakers Hill nursing home fire, um, and he spent you know his entire life helping people, um, helping people in Western Sydney. Um, he's someone who understands what it's like in Western Sydney, and someone who knows you know the struggles the people in the West are going through. And it was again talking about really good locally grown candidates. Um, it was great to hear someone who has their finger so much on the pulse um, with, uh, you know, the needs and the wants of the people in my area speak. And I'm really hoping we can push hard and get Trevor elected uh, this election um, because the people of Western Sydney really do need people in Parliament who represent them um, and can speak for us. Yeah, well, I think uh, that they're too good... Uh... Summations. Now, when you want to look at, uh, you know, rotter of the week, there there are so many candidates, uh, you know, I really don't want to put one forward. I mean, I, I've got to keep coming back to Putin every week. The way civilians are being, the way civilians are being assassinated over there is just horrendous. So I'll just leave it that Putin is still my bad guy, but I won't repeat all the things I've said about him in previous weeks. James, who's your bad guy of the week? Uh, I mean, I, mean I, I completely agree. Like We, we could just say Putin every week. Um, but this week, um, look, I, I love the ABC. Um, but this week, um, my bad guy of the week is Q&A um, for having on their panel noted climate denialist and director of policy at the IPA and the Institute of Public Affairs, Gideon Rosner. Now, the Institute of Public Affairs is a right-wing climate denialist think tank funded by the big mining companies. And to give these climate denialists such a big platform like Q&A uh, really legitimises their views. Um, I know there's this idea that, oh, you know, we can win these people over with the power of debate. But if you're such a prominent, in such a prominent position in a climate denialist organisation, the, the good power of debate on Q&A is not going to suddenly win you over and give you like a road to Damascus moment where you repent live on air and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I wish I was never a climate denialist, all the science is true, I'm sorry. Um, instead, all you do is give these people a national megaphone to spout their well, really, well, really horrendous the, views. I think democracy requires that they get a megaphone. What we've got to do is make sure that on Q&A there are people who are going to hit them for six, you know, oh. when they say things like that. But I undertake your point. Now, look, now, uh, James, uh, you you have a good uh, a good week. I think next weekend it, it 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 may be possible that Morrison has gone to the Governor General by next weekend, and so we we thought last week he would have gone, but he hasn't. Uh, but anyway, I think we'll take Easter off next week, uh, being good yeah. lads, and have a nice peaceful Easter, and come back in two weeks. By which time, the election campaign can be in full swing. But you and I, in absence of having our podcast next week. We can 
trot out a few tweets together to hit a few people here and there just to let them know we're around. But we'll be back on our podcast in two weeks. But it's good to talk to you today, James, and and uh, I look forward to uh, another chat. Yeah, as always, Avril, um, hope you and all our listeners have a wonderful Easter. Um, as always, too. even through Easter, we'll be, we'll be tweeting through the weekend and maybe we will smash a couple of politicians for six, some misbehaving politicians. Um, there's guaranteed to be some between now and then. Um, yeah. There's guaranteed to be some between, you know, now at 8.30 and in 30 minutes' time, uh, the way the news cycle's going. But, um, yeah, no, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great Easter. We'll see you in two weeks. You too, you too, James, and we'll uh, we'll talk again in a fortnight, but we'll cooperate on Twitter in between time, so that'll be good. And bye for now, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening, everyone.